You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Zach Keller. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) Should we talk about real estate? Yeah, what's going on in real estate this week, guys? I think it's been kind of a uh, interesting week. Um, uh, I, I I wouldn't necessarily call it highs and lows, but I would just call it uh, I would call it interesting. You know, some people um, deciding to kind of hold on. Um, some people, I, I just think there's, uh, I don't know, maybe this COVID thing's getting a little too long for some people. Yeah, you know, and people. I are think you're right. Getting, yeah, get, getting fed up, but. Um, a couple of our people won some offers, so that was good too. But uh, how about you, Mr. Andrew? You know, I, uh, I I'm continuously shocked with the steady flow of people that want to build a new house. You know, it's been a, um, uh, we, you know, I do existing markets as well. You know, obviously that's a predominant part of our business. But the amount of people that are coming in that want to custom build, take advantage of the rates. Um, I think this morning, um, I, I think the percentage was like 26% um, that construction's up, um, you know, July over July. So it's significantly uh, higher. I think as people kind of, you know, got away from the fear of, you know, the, the, the pandemic a little bit, kind of, I always say the graduation party season, but um, people started coming out and seeing models and ordering houses. And so we're seeing the permits getting pulled here in July and August. Um, I think you're going to see another record month for August and September coming up here. Um, and because uh, I, I mean, I've, I, I think we sold 30 houses, no joke, in June, oh 20 some gosh. houses in July. Yeah. I mean, it was the numbers were were definitely um, actually made a guy like me look good. I, I got to be honest with you. Our numbers look good. <laughs> and that's um, what it's all about. Andy's ego. Um, yeah. Some of that that whole new construction stuff is uh, really, it also has to do with maybe people are sick of fighting, you know, for other houses and multiple offers. And this is a way of, you know what, I can, I can do it. It's it's a a little more, I mean, this is crazy because you usually don't talk about building as stress-free, but in a way it's a lot more stress-free than, you know, getting your hopes up and think you're going to get this house and all of a sudden, oh, you know, it crashes. Now you're going to pay more, but it's done, you know, and you've kind of probably eliminated your maintenance and, and things like that. Some people trying to get into new construction are doing, um, you know, they don't finish the basement or they don't add a deck. I mean, I was at a house the other day doing a market analysis and the house was, boy, it's, it was seven years old and uh, there was no deck still on it, you know? And so yeah. and some people get caught up in that and they, you know, they want the most house they can get but then they don't end up doing that. But when you're, when you're listing those types of houses, you know, and they're seven to 10 years out and you don't have a deck and it's just a, it's a walkout and that sliding glass door goes to nothing that, uh, you know, people question that. Uh, and they always feel, I don't know if you think this Andy, but when it doesn't have a deck, when it's that old, I think they always feel like, well, we have to base our price based on putting a deck on there, you know, like it wasn't included. Yeah. Well, you know, I, so I quote decks a lot of times with the new builds and I I mean, it decks aren't cheap, man. I mean, they're for a nice cedar deck. They're in the $80 square foot range, Um, you know, cedar rail, cedar hand, whatever. And then they, 
charging another four to five thousand dollars to um, uh, put a set of stairs on there. So you, all of a sudden you're spending twenty thousand to thirty thousand on a deck, and it's not maintenance free. I mean, it's it's absolutely crazy. But on the other hand, you know, you made that decision when you built that house on a walkout lot, and I tell this to a lot of people. I'm like, listen, you know, everybody thinks they want a walkout, but I said. What's wrong with a, a full basement flat lot where you actually go right out of the main level of your house down two steps onto an awesome, beautiful patio that's ground level where your kids can play, the dogs can run. The, you know, I mean, it's not so these I think this like um, trend towards everything has to be a walkout, I think is going to soften here in the next couple of years. And then the other kind of half medium, which is really nice, is a lookout lot where, you know, that lower level still has the big windows, you know, so you're as you stand there your waist is at about the, the height of the grass or a little, maybe a little higher than that. And you can see out into the yard and then the deck is only six feet off the ground, which brings the cost down fairly significantly. But, but still, I mean, you're making a decision when you buy the lot, when you build. And just for an example, look at older neighborhoods. Walkout lots were not always the thing. Walkout lots, I think, were designed way back in the day as something to be different. So these developers started offering a different style of, of building pad to attract people to build because building always hasn't been the hot thing. Not everybody wanted new and to pay more. So they had to come up with creative ways to do that. And that's how they did it. Well, do you know, um, are you familiar with cobblestone on the lake? It's in yeah, Roseland. It's a huge development. And uh, I was part of that um, at the very beginning uh, when I owned a construction company. And that, that was set up at the beginning, 90% walkout lots. And it was a TND, which is a traditional neighborhood design they flipped it completely around and went 90% flat and, and created that lookout on the side. So you still get the natural light in, but you're totally right, Andy, that the outside is then an extension of that main floor, which you usually hang out at. I had a huge bar in my, I owned, I owned a restaurant at the time and I, I was redoing my basement. I'm like, well, I have to have a bar kind of the same size. And I put that bar and I maybe used it, you know, maybe twice a year. In the last six months, uh, I've got rid of that bar and used different pieces for different areas. But it's interesting because you don't really ever go down to that basement. You know, your main kind of entertainment area, and that's what builders are doing, is creating that main level space uh, to to get that. And you you hit it right on the nose. But people, well, but, but think about this natural light. Well, and Chris, think about this. So now you you build a new house and you pay six fifty for a brand new house. Decks included, but the deck was $30,000. And now you're there for, let's say, 15 years. The deck looks tired. You want to sell the house. Graduation's over. Um, you want to move down to the lake or whatever you want to do. And that deck almost needs to be replaced or repaired or, you know, and I, I don't know. I just, now you got another 30 grand you have to throw at that thing. And I, I just, you know, I think there's such a frustration between two with people with having that finished lowest level and, or not finishing it. And then how are you going to use it? And I'm like, listen, you know, when you look at the big mansions that are out there, they don't have basements. Big mansions have beautiful, sprawling, you know, laid out, well thought out houses with, you know, beautiful ceilings and architectural accents. They don't have a basement, you know, so it's like the basement's really for cold weather. The basement's for, you know, now don't get me wrong. I love having a basement because I'm a Minnesota guy where you, you go down there and you hide, you know, you can have, it's cooler down there in the summer. It's a fun place for the kids to play. But at the end of the day, when you commit to a walkout, you're finishing a whole other level of your house and you're committing to decks, you're committing to retaining walls. A lot of times you're committing to a lot more. So when somebody says, what's the difference between a walkout and a lookout? I always tell them 25 to 40,000. 
when it's all done and said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that ties into some of the topics that we're going to talk about today, and that's um, the importance of of home and having a home that you can enjoy and and love spending time at, especially in times of COVID. But we are uh, chatting about some new topics this week, which is, uh, well, first, let me say we're excited to be here with everybody today. Drop your comments, questions in the comments section on our Facebook page. And today we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to do a fun giveaway. So uh, all three of us are contributing some swag to a giveaway, and we'll be randomly choosing someone based on uh, your entries, which you can enter by liking, commenting, and sharing today's show. Um, And just comment, if you do share, comment in the comment section, shared. I have to find some swag now. Oh, I'm sure you have some swag. Uh, Chris, a piece of gum doesn't count. The what? Andy could make piece a piece of gum. Swag. Andy, uh, don't Andy, don't you have a vinyl cutter to make your own swag? Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, I've got a big rolling vinyl cutter for making custom signs. That's so cool. Uh, so today we're chatting about uh, Lakeshore property and whether fall is a good time to buy, which is a, uh, we just talked about Lakeshore property a couple of weeks ago with Mark Pedig and um, super pertinent as people are thinking about their remote work options. Uh, the importance of having a home, like we just talked about, that you can enjoy, and how sellers are rejoining the market, along with some questions from last week. Awesome. So, Lakeshore property, guys, what are your thoughts on it? Do you guys both own cabins? I do not. Where'd you go? Right there. Um, <laughs> I was I was going to do an Andy thing and uh, switch my, uh, <laughs> since we're talking about... Uh, these things. I had to get on the lakeshore. I'm on the ocean front here, but oh, I mean, ocean front versus lakefront, which is more expensive? Depends where you live. I tell you, that's true. Um, but anyways, uh, what was your question again, Courtney? Before do you, I... do you own a cabin? I do not, and I, I've, I've I owned a cabin at one point, which happened to be uh, a little over one mile away from my house, and then we ended up tearing it down and building a house on it. So oh, uh, cool. Yeah. So I did have a cabin for two years. And I think, you know, in the end, I think I should have kept it as a cabin. It was kind of a, it was, it was super fun. And then I tell you though, kind of going back to that, uh, where we were last week, again, I, we had coincidentally, you guys, we don't hang out at Gull Lake at Madden's every week all summer, even though that'd be fun. Um, (laughs) but we were out there two weeks in two week, two weeks in a row. And man, I'll tell you, that uh, that Gull Lake is is something like you said, Chris. It, I mean, there's literally twenty million dollar houses on that lake. I mean, and and it's there's like lots for a million dollars, and it's like you get to that point of where you're like, this is like some of the wealthiest people in the state of Minnesota are up here in Baxter, Minnesota, or, or whatever Lakeshore, whatever they call it up there on that lake, and it's it's ridiculous. I mean, in a crazy cool way, it's a concentration of the mega awesome. I mean, for, for properties too. And these properties aren't just cabins. These are beautiful, like um, the up North vibe kind of houses with big, you know, windows and amazing patios and, you know, hundred thousand dollar dock systems. And then 300 grand worth of boats on the docks. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually crazy. So when I think of cabins, Courtney, I don't necessarily think of like that lake, even though that area is beautiful because of all the pine trees, um, I think more of like a little farther, maybe uh, around that lake where you get a little smaller lakes where 
families, the normal family can afford a, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, 300. I think right now you'd probably, I'd bet the average cabin's probably 350. If you average out some of the smaller lakes and some of the normal lakes and you, you take out the exemptions or the exceptions of the big boy lakes like that. But um, Lake Lakeshore is something where, you know, I, I don't think people have used it as much as they've used this year or the people that live in a lakefront property have never had the opportunity as much as this year to really sit back and just enjoy and just, you know, cherish the time with the family and uh, enjoy that property and rethink. If you're sitting in a house and you go, you know what, my house sucks for me, for my situation I'm in, sell it. It'll sell in 30 seconds right now and get out there and buy something you like, take advantage of the good rates because what are you waiting for? Because next year it may not, the rates might be twice what they are this year or the prices might be higher. I mean, it's right now there's a perfect storm sitting like just like behind me, right? <laughs> the perfect sunrise, um, the perfect storm that's happening and it, it's awesome. Yeah, I think you, uh, you know, you, you hit on, you know, like cabins versus uh, mega houses, but I think it, it it becomes one of those things that it's the style of lake and the lifestyle you're looking for that will um, shoot those prices up. So we're talking about the Gull Lake, Cross Lake, all those areas up there. Um, they're close enough to be able to, you know, for busy people um, to run up there for a weekend or to stay a little longer. They're not too far away. And when it becomes a recreational lake and, when a, and a full recreational lake where you can basically use any of your toys and you have restaurants um, and marinas, it just makes it for a more expensive lake. The more um, environmental that you get, you know, the more chances are you're going to get something that's, uh, you know, less less money. So it just depends what you're looking for on that. But I mean, when we're, if we're going to talk about um, is now the time to buy and moving away from cabins and moving back to the metro area where it's something that you live in all year round. I think fall is, I mean, historically has been a fantastic time in which to sell. And it's been a fantastic time in which to sell because what happens is that, I mean, for a lot of them, I deal with Lakeshore quite a bit is that people are, there's looking right away and they're, they're sitting and then, Oh, maybe something else will come. Maybe something else will come. And it doesn't, and it doesn't, it doesn't. Also it gets to fall and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be, I mean, we're going to lose out again. And so then they grab something, you know, in the fall and they still get some time left, but they'll be ready for next spring to hit it hard. So it's a, uh, it's a very good time which to sell and it would be a really good time to sell if there's any inventory on the market. Uh, but the lake lakefront is, it's very hard uh, in which to get, we just had an example of uh, we sold a house that we felt that we got top, top dollar. I mean, we did really well on it. And um, there's this environmental lake, but we got top dollar on it. This guy purchased it, um, is in the middle of fixing it up. And he already turned around and sold it for um, $350,000 more, you know, which is now, I don't know how much money he's putting into it and what that, that all is, but uh, very, I mean, crazy and I didn't I didn't think I thought it would be someone buying it to fix it up for themselves and stay there but it was a it was a investor that was doing it and taking sure. advantage of nothing that's on the water right now well you know Chris I think there's something to be said for that too um you know the uh when you when you talk about environmental lakes like behind me here uh no, I'm just kidding. I think so what I was saying was with when it comes down to flipping though I wanted to make a quick comment so with all the crazy um, amount of people that are out there that want to flip, right? Um, and you do come across that rare opportunity that, and trust me, don't hesitate. If you see a deal 
you want to jump on that deal. They're, they're, they're not out there right now. They're harder to find. So when you do find a value that you're like, hey, I can buy this, improve the value, and then sell it. One of the things I was just talking to a lender about again is the um, seasoning of, of like from the time you bought it until the time it sells again. And having where the um, 90 day window is kind of a minimum. Um, and then six months really is even better. So if you buy a property, hold it for six months, um, you're not going to be scrutinized by the buyer's bank. If somebody comes in and pays cash, none of that matters. But if they come in and they have financing, FHA, conventional, um, they're going to scrutinize. And so as a seller, don't be surprised if they ask you to provide a list of the items that you improved on the property. So if, if there is a, hey, I bought it right and just didn't do anything and sold it higher, there's that. But it, it takes, the banks coming in will scrutinize that. You know what I mean? And the reason being is because a lot of people were in cahoots before and saying, hey, I bought it for $9.25. I'm going to sell it to you for a million three. Uh, not say I did really did anything. We're going to get a million dollar loan on that. And then all of a sudden we're going to take 75,000 and never make a payment. And so that's what people were doing before. So that's, that's, that's the reason why they're going to scrutinize it. Like Andy just said. Yep. Do you guys think that Lakeshore property is more or less appealing today uh, with everything going on from a vacation standpoint or a remote work standpoint? Way more. Coming up, sister. Way more. Do you guys get, are you guys getting more requests for like help with Lakeshore property right now? It's like, you can't even, you can't get it. I mean, you even look at like the South Metro and let's just say prior Lake, um, you know, where hardly nothing's on. I mean, people are swarming on stuff that are, is happening and uh, it's, it's crazy. There's a backlog of it and people want in and they're, they're grabbing, they're getting with anything and people are, you know, pushing the prices and then, uh, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, prices have gone up uh, very healthy, very. Well, you, know, you know, at least ten percent, at least ten percent, even from the spring till now. Yeah, and I, I think when I was so last week when I had the opportunity to to, to roll around with some, you know, more influential real estate agents, I asked a question to the whole group. We we're out on the pontoon, and I said, "So you guys, we're going around this beautiful lake." And I said, "I would, I would want you to gather." the average age of the lake owner, a lakeshore owner around this lake. And I said, I bet you it's 65. And they said, you know, well, you're probably right. And I said, so let's assume that the baby boomers are predominant owners of cabins, not necessarily lakeshore in the cities, but the cabins. And I said, do you guys think you're going to see it soften? Because I said, as baby boomers retire or they decide, hey, I'm, I'm sick of paying eight grand a year in taxes on my lakefront property, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, move back to the city because of the grandkids, whatever. And those cabins go for sale. The kids that they have a lot of times can't even afford to pay the taxes, let alone own that property or pay the parents for anything for it. So I, I kind of said, do you guys think there's going to be a surge of Lakeshore properties when that surge of population kind of waves through and out the other side of, of being owners of those properties? Do you think you'll see the recreational cabin soften? And unanimously, they all said, absolutely not. They said, there's always somebody waiting in line. There's, there's again, the old analogy of 10 bagels and I've got 20 buyers and that's still the case. So until that goes, you know, away, the, um, anyway. Hey, uh, Courtney, did you hear what he, he said at the very beginning? He Which was part? able to hang out with some more influential realtors. I mean, yeah. what, what are, what are we? You were invited Rooney, but you wanted an appearance fee if I remember correctly. <laughs> 
it was all about influence. Yes. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh-huh. <laughs> we, we tried to influencers, but typically, typically real estate agents don't, don't just organically fall into that category. Right. I'm just kidding. Real estate agents honestly have the most influence in their local communities out of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, realtors are, realtors are interesting. That's all. I'll just, I'll just say that you never know what you're going to get. Well, I'm glad to work with some of the best. Yeah. Good. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So I think fall, fall is a, is a fantastic time. What is the peak buying season for a real estate on Lakeshore? I've had, I've had the best luck in the fall. Um, A lot of the big stuff happens in the fall. It really does. And obviously it, I think it happens early that middle summer part, people get like in anything, they start getting busy and they start doing their things and maybe missing out on it. But I think most people list in the spring or list in the fall. And so, but I've had my most luck in the fall on the bigger uh, price ones. Yeah. And I was going to say, I was going to agree with Chris in the sense that you do get a lot of your entrepreneurs, which it's surprising how many cabins and lakeshore properties owned by entrepreneurs. Um, a, a surprisingly high amount. I mean, Oh, I own this business or I own that business. And so in the fall is a great time. They're looking at the year end and they're saying, Hey, I'm up. We've got some cash. Let's go do something. And, you know, make it go away before the end of the year. So you're, you know, Chris and I have always said that when it's a investment style property or more, you know, um, executive level, high end, whatever you want to call it, you're right. That buyer is more attentive in the fall. And, or the other one where Chris taught me this, and I never thought about it was if you're selling a lake lot, a lake lot in the fall is much more appealing because they can buy it, design the house and be ready for that spring thaw and start building that cabin as soon as the ground thaws in the spring. Do you guys work with a lot of entrepreneurs for buying and selling too? Like just yeah, to it's funny, yeah. When when Andy said that, I was just thinking of, I mean, real two people that I went to their house and did a, you know, went over the stuff, and then both of them were gone for two weeks because they were vacationing, you know. And so, and it's the exact thing that we're talking about is that they're utilizing and taking advantage of some of the summertime to be able to get away, but obviously on the real estate end. So both of those houses are going to go in, in the fall, you know, and a lot of times, you know, I mean, we have a school thing and who knows what, uh, I mean, now what school brings, because depending on what district you're in and, you know, it might be a real pain in the butt, you know, to try to have your house on the market if you're homeschooling everyone. And sure. uh, but a lot of people used to say, you know what, Hey, everything's finally calmed down. Now I can get on the market. Now I can kind of keep it clean because the kids are gone to school and, um, you know, things slow down from the summer. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. So I think, you know, too, you know, when it comes down to those of us that have the the beautiful gardens, koi ponds, um, you know, outdoor kitchens. Um, what, a, what a great time of year, too, to really get out there and showcase this. Have an open house where you cater in a chef and have somebody outside showing off that outdoor kitchen. And, you know, create some demand by selling the lifestyle. And that that's the thing is that like, I look at my wife, I never would have thought that our front porch would have been such a fun place, but like she has this covered front porch and Lisa can, I know she's watching here. She can pipe in too. Um, it's covered. It, it has music. It's light. You know, you, if it gets too dark, you have a little, you know, dimmable uh, overhead uh, can lights and it's just a great place to hang out. And you're in the front of the house. Um, got a nice little Creek up in the front that I had dry bed Creek. I did. 
that, or excuse me, uh, Pondless Creek. And, and then in the back, I've got this big, beautiful patio that never gets sat on because it's too hot. So two questions for you guys. One, Lisa Berker, Berker, I'm sorry if I didn't say your last name right, Lisa, um, wants to know if there are any specific areas of the state that are in high demand for lakefront property. The whole metro. The whole what metro. about up north? Andy, you yeah. just, I mean. Alec, Alexandria is, is just hot right now, too. Um, I'm seeing Alex and then the, everybody calls it Brainerd, but it's really not Brainerd. But it's, let's call it Brainerd for argument's sake. The Brainerd Lakes area is hot too. Um, I've even seen Detroit Lakes, a lot of people wandering up just a little farther, get a little more cabin for the money. You know, Lake Vermilion was always, uh, it was it was hot for a while. And I don't know what that's going on. I don't know those those markets. That just well. a little harder of a drive, longer of a drive. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, beautiful lakefront. I mean, but it is, it's one of those things where, you know, the walleyes hit hard there, which is great. So if you like to fish, but you want to drive three and a half, four hours every time you want to go to the cabin is, is the, you know, caveat to that. It's so. a different type of buyer. It really is. It's, it's, it's maybe a, a longer term thing or we go up there for a couple of weeks at a time versus, you know, uh, the Alexandria Brainerd lakes, the lakes area that, Hey, it's a two hour jaunt and we can get back. Right. Right. But it is crazy to me. I, I, I not to keep going back to it, but like Gull Lake has Minnetonka prices. I mean, what about Lake Superior? I don't know nothing about it. <laughs> a lot of people have been have been talking about going since COVID. I feel like everybody's going up to Lake Superior lately. That would be more of your sit down with a glass of wine and read your book overlooking the beautiful, majestic Superior. That that's a different kind of. It's not recreational per se. I mean. Yes, you can argue with me and say you can surf in a wetsuit. I get it. Um, but it's most times it's lifestyle. Like what lifestyle do you want with your cabin? Cold and deep. Yeah. yeah. Scary. Uh, Andrew wants to know. Uh, Andrew says, Andy will be able to relate, but what's usually the timeline when empty nesters downsize? <laughs> You're uh, always at that stage, Andy. Thank you. As I pull my wrinkly crow's feet off my eyes. Oh no, empty nesters. Going off to college. Yeah. I got kids that are I've got a biologist living in my house. I I I think that's awesome because I paid for that. Um the and then I have one going off to college now uh tomorrow. We're heading her taking her down to Sioux Falls tomorrow morning. Um but yeah no you know um empty nester is I I think it you know depending on how young you had your kids you got some people in their late 40s all the way to probably 60 that are in that empty nester window. And then um, the uh, downsizers, that's mental, man. I see a lot of people downsize because they get divorced or economic changes. So downsizing is spread across a lot more categories than just the empty nester. Because I, you know, I also have some people that want to build their dream home when they retire and they put all their, you know, resources together to build that one last amazing $1.6 million place on the lake. And in it, who cares? Awesome. It's their money, right? They earned it. Yeah, I think it, it does. It does vary. I mean, it depends how long those kids are actually hanging around, mm-hmm. you know, with, with empty nesters. I mean, it used to be, hey, when they went off to college, you were an empty nester. But in reality, you're not. They're back. They're back for holidays. They're back all summer, you know. And then sometimes they're, they do additional school and then or they don't quite have that job or they're saving up money. And all of a sudden, they're 25, 26 years old. And they're still around, you know, so. Um, Multi-generational housing, you know, I mean, that was one thing that we, 
you know, Courtney, um, years ago used to talk about this, that that was one of like 40% of the buyers that build a new house have multi-generational interests, meaning that they either have college kids coming home with them, or they have mom and dad that are looking to live with them to help take care of the young kids or whatever the combination is. But multi-generational housing is something that I think is, is here to stay. And, you know, that's why we're designing a lot of our houses um, where they're looking for that second living quarters um, within, within the house where they can have, you know, that person have a little privacy. Rooneyville. I was just going to say Rooneyville. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you guys think, I know um, my husband is seeing a lot of people request that multi-generational option with their new builds. Is that something that you guys are experiencing more and more or is it pretty steady? I mean, I think multi-generational living is, is uh, it used to, you know, be um, uh, cultures more mm-hmm. so than now, but I think people are starting to see the, the benefits of it. Um, I think as long as it's closed off and it's totally separate so you can get away, uh, I think that's a, a, a big piece of it. I just sold one uh, to a family that has a, a special needs son. They have people coming in rather than putting them in a home. They actually have a separate um add-on to their house and it works out just fantastic. So, um, well, not only that, but think about this for a second, guys. I mean, I'm at the point where I think about my parents or, you know, uh, Lisa's mom and, and, you know, and you think about that and you go, okay, so they decide, well, you know, hopefully it's 30 years down the road. They have to go to a assisted living or whatever it is. And it's 6,000 to 12,000 a month, depending on their needs and how somebody works their whole life and all of a sudden, it's it goes away so fast. I don't care if you're a multimillionaire; that money still goes away fast. And and it's like, why would you not try to accommodate your own house if you can afford it, right? I mean, you know, you you build that extra space for mom or dad or whoever, and then all of a sudden you have somebody that assists them. And I don't, I don't know. I just, I don't. Know. Do you guys? Think I, I I would like to find a solution like that instead of just dumping you know, pulling up and kicking mom out and saying, hey, there's your new house. Good luck. Do you guys think that with how kind of work and school are changing, that that's going to become more high in demand just for, you know, like household help or or childcare help or school help or things like that? Do you think that's going to impact multi-generational housing? Um, I I think this whole thing, uh, just because it's lasted so long, is, is going to be... Uh, mentally lasting for a lot of people. Um, and I think that also happened with uh, what happened with the housing crisis, you know, back in 2008. I mean, it was real and people experienced it and they're worried about it, you know, and now we are seeing people with more equity in their home, maybe not moving as much. I mean, obviously we're seeing it low inventory right now and people are um, maybe just comfortable in where they're at and they, they don't want to really um, super push it. So it's, uh, I think, yeah. I, so my answer is yes. I think um, that whole multi-generational thing is going to be a big thing. I've thought about that as well. Um, I'm going to be selling a house we have in Prior Lake and uh, it is the perfect multi-generational um, opportunity. And that some of the ideas, you know, before you're thinking about selling, because I really like this area and like this spot, but it's like, you know, I, I don't really need I really don't need 6,000 square feet for me and my wife, you know? So it's kind of like, well, geez, maybe we could put our parents in the, you know, just put a couple doors in and have a, you know, the parents down there. But 
I decided instead I'm going to market it like that instead of of bringing them in. So, um, no, I, and I, I think Chris, you know, that, that uh, there's something to be, you know, said for that. And then the other, the other concept is, you know, when you build new, um, I've had families where they come in and they say, okay, well, the whole lower level is going to be dedicated to my mom and she's gifting us a hundred thousand dollars towards the project to make it nice. I'm telling you, if I stick a hundred grand into a basement in new construction money, oh my God, you're talking Taj Mahal. I mean, it's the best of the best, the heated floors, the fireplaces, the, I mean, amazing kitchens, great, you know, um, reading spaces. I mean, we, we uh, designed a basement for a couple up in Ham Lake last year that I, that it was so cool. And I mean, they, that extra like 30, 40,000 that you'd spend more than a normal basement is where all the cool stuff comes, you know? So anyway, we're real excited. They're, they're just about done with that project now, but. That's awesome. Yeah. We have a couple of comments and questions. Uh, Jennifer said she's had tons of multi-generational interest this year. She loves the idea of new construction in creating the living quarters for family, which is what you guys are talking about here. Yeah. And, and Jennifer's you know actually a real estate agent too. Um, we used to work together years ago. So hi, Jennifer. Good morning. Um, wonderful agent, by the way, up at Realty Group up in uh, Blaine there. So great agent if you're ever uh, looking for a good one. And she also said that she had a family do what you were just talking about. Um, I'm not sure Chris or or Andy, you both shared stories. Um, Parents sold and put a large amount for living quarters in the basement. It was a neat setup. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And then Greg commented that Alexandria Lakeshore is maxed out for our Lakeshore combo. That's because Greg lives up there and doesn't want guys like me moving up there. (laughs) (laughs) Greg's smart. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? You don't like put Donzi with twin 1200 horse engines whoop, 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 in the morning. <gasps> He's Sorry, Chris, I think I cut you off. You were, you were going to share another comment. No, I was just, yeah, I was thinking, you know, when uh, Jennifer was talking about the, um, const- you know, uh, construction and that's where we're hearing it from. You know, you, you sit and talk to people that are interested and a lot of people talk about that because kind of back to what Andy said before in the no basement thing, a lot of people don't need that basement. And then they're kind of like, well, what do you do with it? And that's, I mean, that's really where Rooneyville idea kind of like sparked my interest. It's like, well, geez, maybe you only want a certain a little piece of it, but maybe we could finish the rest of the basement and create like a unit out of it. And, you know, whether it's a kid or a parent or a renter, whatever it is, that you're utilizing that space. And because some people want to, you know, extend it out. And then you're also thinking about resale later on. So a lot of people are afraid, hey, if I don't have a basement, even though that that concept is catching on a lot more to not have a basement. It used to be, you know, like, oh my gosh, you can't ever do that. You know, in tornado season, where are you going to go? You know, they, they've created that. They've solved that problem sometimes in garages with uh, concrete, you know, rooms and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh it's like what they do in Oklahoma. It's coming right. more and more. We just had two people in another development um, say that they're not put in a basement. They don't want a basement. They want to know if the covenants require a basement or not. And they don't. So, yeah. Well, and you know, and I think that, you know, the, the other side of that with, with that is probably the number one concern with slab on grade houses. And that's why, you know, like we talked about, do you really need a basement? That's probably the number one reason why people put them in. And you're right in Oklahoma, a lot of times in the garage, they cut a sliver 
literally the width of like a backhoe that goes right down in the ground. It's a metal protected cage. That literally you open it up, you go down the stairs, you lock it, you buckle it down. Your whole house can be gone and you guys are, are safe and sound. And having a plan like that is smart. But, you know, we never, you know, you never want to think of that. Or people, when you say, oh, it's $11,000 to add it, people are like, oh, I'm out of money right at the end of the project. So it kind of comes down to where, you know, I think that it's it's a even modifying a bathroom, you know, and, and using plywood inside the bathroom and doing six inch studs on center. And a few of those modifications you can do for, let's say, three grand, four grand and and have a bathroom that's also safe, you know. Uh, last, last quick comment before we, um, before we jump into questions from last week, Greg said modifications to a house require a permit, which requires a septic system inspection. Mm. That, that's per County. So, I mean, you know that, and he, Greg would know he's, he's uh, got his uh, thumb on the heartbeat up there in Alex and it's um, some of the counties will require that. Um, you know, so you, 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 you put on a deck or whatever. And a lot of that was, so, so one, uh, so look at the lake behind me, right? Environmental lakes, recreational lakes have a lot of pressures on them anyway. And what's kind of crazy is that they, um, those septic systems that are sitting there and we may not think they're dripping or leaking or whatever, but we all kind of know in the back of our heads that they probably are a little bit. And so what they've done is a great job, at least in Alexandria. And I think it was gosh, almost 12 years ago they came by and actually put sewer through. And so you still use well water. And then there's a, a sewer system that they had everybody attached to. Um, they gave you a nice window of time to get it done. So they didn't put anybody in the poorhouse. and they'd connect you to the sewer system. And, and then you don't have those issues around those lakes. So no leaching of old septics and whatever. So much healthier, much, you know, better environmental concepts, um, you know, big, bigger picture stuff, but yeah. Awesome. Any final thoughts before we move on to some of our questions, guys? Let's do it. All right. I think we're actually on time today. Um, is, it, is it worth it to write a letter along with our offer? It can't hurt. That's my, my opinion. I don't think it can hurt. But I'll tell you the other thing um, that we started adding in um, from our end is uh, talking about your employment. And because I get that question asked a lot and I ask that question, you know, because we don't want them to lose a job. So are they essential? I mean, there's some businesses that are flourishing and there's other ones that are like, oh, you don't know if they're going to have a job at the end. So um, adding in your, your job and especially if maybe someone's lost out before or that realtor, more importantly, probably even more so, is that if that realtor's experienced it before. Because it's like, you know, you can pay them anything and say anything you want, but if you're not going to close on it, none of it matters. You know, yeah. so making sure that uh, they can do that. So nice heartfelt letter and all that is, is great, but you got to add in some facts as well. There might be just something that um, connects with you. Then hopefully, you know, that seller or that agent um, maybe goes to their Facebook and sees their common friend with someone. And then it's harder to turn away that person you know, to do it. So I think it's advantageous. So, so, and, and I'm not going to discredit what he says, but I'm going to, I'm going to scare you a little bit. Opens you up to discriminatory practices and you are favoring someone because of the way their family unit is established. It's a traditional family over top of a non-traditional family or their last name is just like my last name, or they go to the same church I go to. 
Um, I'm telling you, it those letters have to be very carefully written, and and you have to be um, in a position of where, like Chris said, I like saying, "Hey, we're an awesome couple." Um, don't even tell them what you are or who you are, and oh. you say we both have awesome jobs. We want to get closer to the biking system and the trail system. You, that's you're not going to get in trouble for that. When you show the little cute picture of the two kids, the dog, mom, and dad. And everybody starts getting. Why would, they, why would they get in trouble? They won't get in trouble. It's like whoever, whoever takes it on the other side says something, you know, and uses that against it. I mean, it's, is it wrong to tell them who you are? You didn't take my offer because you're discriminating against me because of the way I look or my lifestyle. Oh, so, so you say, you're saying the buyer's going to go back after them because they gave them a picture of themselves. The, the buyer that doesn't get the sale can, can come back and say, yes, they picked that family because they knew who they were selling to. And they it's discriminated. We're in that world now. It's a true, I hate to say it, but it's the truth, man. I mean, it, it's, it, real estate has nothing to do with, you should almost have a number. And, and so you can't even tell what you look like, who you are, what you are, and write your best offer and, and let people make decisions based on the offer, not the people. But don't we want to be more relationship focused than being transaction focused? Just playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> 1, yeah, but, but that's what I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying, Courtney. So now I picked your family because they they look awesome, and I I threw the other offer out even though it was better because I liked your family. Well, that that's to, that's the the definition of discriminating, you know. You got to be careful. So I, all I say is this: I, I always tell everybody, let's make the offer, um, put in there the facts, and if we want to do a highlight sheet with the facts of what the offer really is, and then you present it that way. Um, and and if you want to do a letter. Um, that's up to you. We'll, we'll include it. But I, as a listing agent, I don't even, I don't, I will hold that offer back, that letter back to protect myself and my brokerage first. And it's, it has nothing to do with the offer. And I present the entire offer. That letter has nothing to do with the the offer itself, other than they're trying to, they're trying to, you know, woo you and, and make you favor their offer based on what's in that letter over another, which has nothing to do with the contract. Me and me, see me and Andy. Sometimes we don't agree. This is one subject we don't. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. You don't have I'm, to agree on that. I'm going to go to jail. Doesn't mean you're not BFFs at the end of the day. <laughs> no, and I'm just saying because I've seen this recently, really more recently, become a topic. Because oh, I I agree with you. It's a hot topic right now. It's a hot topic, and it's like so. Don't make that be the reason why the sale does or doesn't happen. I would say there's nothing wrong with explaining. Hey. My mom and dad live down the street. We'd like to get closer to my parents. We both have great jobs. Um, we're flexible on our closing. Hey, well, what if that person doesn't have parents? The other person doesn't have parents. You're discriminated against. Technically, that's impossible, I mean, sir. Unless you were born. Yes, in a I mean, we can say that about everything. You know, you have long fingers. I mean, that's wrong. It's just to me, it's just like you know. But what? what it's not not in that mindset. So it's no, just, I know, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that what's what's happening is wrong. I'm just pointing out the obvious flaw in the system right now because the world we're moving into is not going to allow that kind of crap to go on anymore. Cause it's like, all it does is favors an offer and makes people actually amplify some of the issues that we're having right now in the world. Well, so, okay. Tell me this. So when you do an offer, are you going to look at a, a person putting 20% down better than you're looking at 3% down? Um, financially, I can discriminate. Yes. What? No, you can't. I mean, yes, you can't you can. say, Hey, Hey, it's 20% down. That's why we're accepting you and 3% down because you don't they have, have cash. They have cash or they have better financing. I can select but over that. that I mean, with. you can say that about anything. 
in the offer. You know, you typed it in and I wrote it. Yeah, but they're just not a protected class. That's what I'm saying. This lender, I went to that lender. I'm not. I'm not trying to sound like some. (laughs) I'm just trying to say, keep it fair. Here we go, Jennifer. Jennifer has the right idea. She said it's okay to disagree, and I think we close it up with you guys do not agree on this topic. You go to hell, (laughs) you and your stupid ideas. And yeah. Andrew, by the way, he's not said, allowed in Rudyville. Just saying. Let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's dispel the argument. Uh, Andrew said, good luck and safe travels moving Hannah this weekend. And I think that's very nice. And now right. we're going to move on to question two. <laughs> yeah, do it. <laughs> question two. Have you or your clients ever been sued over not disclosing an issue with a home? How did you deal with it? And how do you better protect yourself in the future? I guess the the better the best way I'm going to start at the end. The best way to protect yourself is to disclose anything that you feel is something that'll ruin their right of enjoyment. You know, uh, for the most part, that disclosure statement is probably the most important thing that you fill out when you list your house. And so you want to you want to take it serious. Uh, yeah, uh, been in it 30 years. We've been to uh, four arbitration cases. Um, sometimes they list the realtors on it, typically because. They have insurance, errors emissions insurance, and they're trying to go after maybe that money. Um, but uh, it's an interesting process. Uh, you know, usually usually has to do, and uh, if Andy's talking to me again, it usually has to do with um, uh, water issues. I mean, a lot of time water issues that, you know, they say they never had water and then there's water issues because it causes a, a lot of damage and a, and a problem. And, uh, you know, the buyer's, you know, going for that recourse thing or smaller things. That's why I think those warranties are super important. I used to never think they were important until I got uh, last year, I got 22 notices in the mail that people used the, um, wow, 22, you know, a refrigerator, a, a, a dryer, a range, a furnace. And those are 22 calls that I didn't get. And really 22 calls turns into a 122 calls when you have an issue like that and going back and forth. So, um, well, it adds value too. If you're the one that recommended they do the home, the home warranty from a real estate agent perspective. Yeah. You know, the only times I've ever had clients uh, get in trouble is when they intentionally misguide. Um, you know, I, 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 this was 15 years ago. I had a, a client that was upset with an offer when the market wasn't so good. You remember 15 years ago, um, right in the beginning of the end. Right. So we had, um, a situation where the seller got upset with the offer they received without my knowing went back and actually removed a bunch of the bulbs in the ground that were the extensive gardens, took a ton of them out. And they, they also, um, so, so moved all the stuff out. The people moved in, it was fall and come spring, nothing was coming up. Nothing was coming up. And I got the call saying, well, Hey, your gardens aren't what we thought they were going to be. And, uh, you know, so what's going on here? They go over to the neighbor. First thing the neighbor says is, oh, yeah, uh, the seller was so mad at you for the low offer you wrote. She took all the garden bulbs out and they got a bid and it was $12,000 from the local landscaper to redo the landscaping back to the condition in the picture, which is what they were told to bid. And guess who lost? My client. And rightfully so. I mean, they, they tried to cheat the system and they, you know, and, but I tell you what, I also had one with water issue actually this summer too, where we ended up settling. And a lot of people just, you know, they don't want to believe that you haven't had a history there. And so there's always that you must've been through this before. 
you must have had that window leak or that air come through the bottom of the door. And they just can't believe or fathom. And I'm telling you, some people just don't pay attention like you do. And they may have water sneaking in that basement door and they've never noticed it. It, it legitimately happens. Or they travel and the carpet gets wet and dries before they ever come back and check it. Um, so I always say to people, just be careful, you know, before you go after somebody, really make sure you have a solid case because it, it's a long drawn out process. And at the end of the day, what do you really want out of it is what you really need to put on paper before you even start. And the other thing is, is uh, uh, for the sellers out there that are selling is, you know, ending in a good light is always good because, um, you know, it's, it's just like Andy said, you know, if the, if the walkthrough went bad and it was dirty and they found some things afterwards and you were kind of a jerk at the end and, you know, and being a tough guy, you know, they, they're more likely to say, you know what, we're, we're going after that person versus, hey, if it ended up right, there's no way Andy would have done that. You know, it's just, it's just part of what it is. And we had, it all we had comes back to the relationship. It comes back to cultivating strong relationships, even if you're not going to have a relationship with that person after the sale. When being a yeah. good person. Yeah. yeah. We, we had a couple of years ago, we had one of those deals where they, um, they waited right to the end of the arbitration window. So there was literally a week left of the legal arbitration window to file a claim. And they threatened us and said, if you don't give us this much money, like extortion, we're going to take you to arbitration. And I, of course, I immediately took the big Remax machine and lawyered up and said, all right, let's party. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't we'll surprise me, Andy. I'm like, you know, but screw you for trying. But who's going to get blackmailed? I mean, you can't do that to people. Oh, I was so I mad. I, nothing worse than extortion. And when I was sitting there going, you have to be kidding me. This system's not designed to extort people. You know what I mean? Like waiting to last. So there's no chance to respond. And then if you don't respond, it's, you're, you're stuck with the $1,200, $1,400 filing fees. Oh, man. I oh, I went nuts on that deal. Uh, last question, guys, before we run out of time today. Uh, will making a three-bed, three-bath home into a three-bed, two-bath home be detrimental for resale? Depends. Depends. I, I think the only reason that someone would go um, is to take a bath away is to try to make um, – two baths a lot more better or a lot better than what each of those were as individuals. And uh, I think sometimes it, it works and uh, sometimes it doesn't. So what do you think, Andy? I mean, it depends well, price point too. That you're I, you know, I think that there's, um, I would, okay. So it depends, again, it depends, right? Like you said. So at that point you might as well collapse another bedroom too, and then make a mega suite with a mega amazing bathroom or something I, and you're on the lake and you're going to retire there. I get that. But most families need that extra bathroom and that extra bedroom for a reason because they have humans living in the house. And so there's more value on having a littler bathroom that, you know, you remodel lightly and make, you know, updated than to, to you know, I don't know. I it, it, Again, like Chris and I talk about all the time, it's a price point, right? So um, and your target buyer who the target yeah. buyer is and what you're going to go for and the style of home. I mean, when I think of that three bedroom, three bath, I'm thinking it's a, you know, three bedrooms on the main floor with a master and another bath and then a bathroom downstairs, some sort of rec room, but it could be a split entry where there's two bedrooms up and they have two small baths, you know, for there and then one downstairs. So maybe sharing with one person in a luxury bath isn't as bad as having all the kids in the same bathroom upstairs. So it just really, it kind of depends. Everything I think that comes back to what you guys have been talking about, though, with lifestyle. It depends on the lifestyle you want 
And if you're going to be there for, you know, 20 to 30 years, that's a lot different than saying we're going to be here for three and then sell. Yeah. Sure. Usually the, you increase your value by adding another bathroom, not decreasing it. So in most cases, it, it goes the opposite way to your advantage. Well, cool. Any final? And we agreed. Comments? We're ending this agreeing, Courtney. I, I finally calmed down. I guess time, so guys. Yeah. yeah, I'm finally calm. God. So, for those of you listening to the podcast, actually, um, you one one of the fun things that Chris and I uh, let people do we do this on live on Facebook. So, go to Facebook, look up Real Estate Radio Hour, follow our page, like it, subscribe to it. You'll see the live, and then you can see us actually doing the show with video behind us instead of just listening. So um, you, I think you, that, you know how Andy changes his background seven times while we're talking. <laughs> just trying to match, you know, the colorful personality I normally have. <laughs> Let's end up at the 654 Club here, Andy. Oh, should I? All right. Yeah, we'll, uh, we had, uh, oh, sorry. We had the old uh, 654. Where am I at here? It's kind of about a thousand of them there now. So, Check it out. This is the uh, so this is our little uh, preferred home team up north nightclub we have. Thanks to Mr. Mark Pedig. Yeah, and hence the nightclub. I think well, I can't get out of the way. God dang it! Um, little cocktail sign there in the window. <laughs> and then we were playing dice up there the whole week. Um, six, five, four, and I can't tell you the rules, but. Apparently, uh, some of those guys are better than me at that game. You got to get a six, five, four, and then you add up the last two dice. See who wins, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. Something like that. I was busy enjoying all the cookies they brought. The cookies. I had to put on my my, uh, sanitizer after this show. So (laughs) you feel dirty? Wash away away the argument or what? Are you (laughs) sad because you guys were arguing? This is nothing unusual. Let's just say that. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. We had fun chatting with you. If you have questions after the show, because you're listening to the recording or grabbing uh, the podcast version, uh, feel free to drop your comments on our Facebook page, Real Estate Radio Hour. Uh, Make sure to give us a like and a follow on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, leave us a review. We would love the support. If you have questions that you want to share with us for next week's show, you can email those to me, Courtney at amplifyup.com. Have a great week, guys. Thanks. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.